Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome to the Real Talk Christmas bonus episode. On today's show, we have on Mike Hutton from the One Christian Thinks podcast. You can find his podcast and all of our research linked right down below. This podcast ended up going quite a long ways, close to three hours, so we decided to split it into two parts to make it easier for you to listen to and enjoy. In the first half, we talk about racism, Black Lives Matter, and how current cultural movements are impacted by ideologies like Marxism, neo-Marxism, and critical race theory. This is a bit of an experimental episode, and you'll get to hear a little bit more from myself and Tyler as hosts. Um, in this episode, we keep it fairly broad, but the plan going forward is to do more specific deep dives into the current cultural issues of the day, along with Mike. So let us know what you think of the dynamic, uh, what you think of the conversation, and if you like what you heard. Looking forward to hearing from you on that. One quick note before we get into the episode. Um, it's been pretty cool. We're starting to get quite the substantial audience on these uh, interview episodes with a couple thousand of you tuning in to each one. So the plan is to start some advertising to help grow the podcast. With that in mind, if you're a business owner listening, or if you know a business owner or someone who would benefit from advertising their products or services on Real Talk, please reach out, send us an email, let us know. We'd be happy to start that process and get you guys going on that. So apologies for the long introduction. Without further ado, please enjoy part one of the inaugural Real Talk Christmas bonus episode. Hey, everybody. We are here doing a bonus episode for you all of Real Talk. Ty, how's it going, man? Good. Good? You're doing good? Hungry. So we got good. a spread here, so it's good. Yeah. we. Uh, if you're watching uh, visually, which would be how you would watch anything, I suppose, uh, we have a <laughs> very updated studio here. So we got a nice big Real Talk sign. Um, yeah. C.S. Lewis here, uh, painter. Yeah, we introduced painting. everyone to their art before, but yeah, it's we did. Here now, but yeah, so. not everyone watches the bonus episodes or like the feedback episodes. So fair. Yeah. So uh, the studio is coming along. It's pretty sweet. Uh, we're kind of happy with it. So once again, thank you, Reform Perspective, for giving us the funding to do that. And uh, yep, for sure, yeah, to keep it going. So yeah, basically today uh, we're kind of trying out something new. Um, Christmas bonus. Yeah, we'll call it a Christmas bonus. It's a little, maybe a maybe a Christmas like present. That. Maybe it's a bit of coal in the stocking. Who knows? Christmas but, bonuses. <laughs> yeah. So we're kind of just gonna give you guys, um, yeah, some of our thoughts and some of our guest thoughts. We'll intro in a minute here on the current cultural context we find ourselves in, mm. and um, that could take the, you know, could take many forms. We're not quite sure where this conversation will go, and that's kind of the magic of conversation. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'll intro today's guest. Yeah, we got Mike Hutton on. From One Christian Thinks, uh, Ty is a huge fan of their intro song for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm going to cue it up. One sec. All right. See well, if I can get this you're going to play it right now? You'll oh. be fine. Do you got it? I can, I can give you the... I can play it off my computer, actually. Oh. All right. I'm going to do that for yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Wait yeah. your mic to it. <laughs> We're going to make this a half One Christian Thinks podcast episode. Ty likes to run around the office dancing to the song, so... Yeah, just give everyone like... Oh, Another shout out to Calvin Hutton, so... Yeah. Calvin Hutton. Yeah, also right. wrote this. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. He did all my uh, editing for that. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. The cultural appropriation is in the dancing of time. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that was on me. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> not yeah, you got the Trump uh, moves there. Well, 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 Mike, Mike has his mic back. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Mike uh, does is host and I guess the only 
only voice on one Christian thinks. That's right. But uh, everyone should go check out that podcast too. Mike's got some really good thoughts on our culture and, and yeah, maybe, maybe you want to introduce maybe just some of the episodes that you're, are your favorite. Yeah. I'd be happy if you just left it at thoughts. Really good is a bit of a, <laughs> that might be a stretch. That's also there. <laughs> oh, just that's great. Um, so um, what I'm trying to do with my podcast is uh, examine worldview and culture um, the different ideologies that uh, culture is operating with from an explicitly Christian perspective. Yeah. Um, I'm, my target audience is Christians, and I'm trying to target Christians uh, sort of from any denomination, right. from any faith background. Um, I'm trying to put out kind of a unifying message mm-hmm. rather, than, rather than really picking sides. Yeah. Um, up to this point, I've talked about... Uh, kind of the two things that were biggest in 2020, uh, that being um, the Black Lives Matter protests and then also COVID-19. So I've discussed those. Um, I think I've done nine episodes or something like that. Moving forward, I'm going to be discussing a little bit more um, just ideas, bigger ideas. Mm. So I'm starting starting a uh, series on freedom discussing the idea of freedom. Okay. Um, I'm trying to keep it a little bit out of the the philosophy because the philosophy philosophy can get pretty intense. Okay. There's some, uh, like, like throughout church history, it's been discussed. Hmm. Um, so I try to stay out of that and, and keep it at a relevant discussion. Got five episodes planned. Um, and then I guess the next thing that I'm quite excited about is that, uh, there's a book it's uh it's called the story of liberty it's it's not copyrighted at all anymore it's it was written in the 1800s um do you know it, what copyright was back then <laughs> <laughs> apparently it was but uh <laughs> um so i've got that book um because it's in the public domain i can record myself reading it and, and put it out there oh cool um so i'm hoping in January to start recording myself reading that book and putting out a chapter every day. Oh, cool. Um, it's a really, really cool book. It tells, it kind of tells um, church history and European history together. And it really frames kind of everything we learn about in school, yeah. uh, just general church history, general European history. It um, puts it all together and then um, puts it into a, a, a story form as well. It's not a history book. Oh, it's a cool. story book. So it's really easy to read. It really grabbed my attention. I'm not a history guy. So I think it'll be valuable for uh, for other people to listen to. So I'm really looking forward to doing that as well. Chapter a day is a lot of work. Chapter a day. They're, <laughs> not, with that. they're not super long chapters. Like I'm talking probably 15, 20 minutes yeah. uh, of reading. Well, I'll but be listening. That's kind of that's kind of where my podcast is going. But I'm super excited yeah. to be here with you guys too. Yeah. Um, I like listening to your voice. So. <laughs> gonna, yeah. No, I really like your podcast that... You came at it, like for your first intro episode, you always encourage you to listen to that. So if you're going to listen to One Christian Thinks, go listen to the intro episode first because he lays out, Mike lays out uh, a a mindset where he's like, I'm just going to be Christian about this and lay it out like from an explicitly Christian perspective. So yeah. it's not like you're, you know, debating whether or not it's, you know, um, something's Christian or you, you shy away from actually like debating what Christians would be debating yeah. and like just deal with the problems of culture. So. Yeah. And that's why we have you here. So we're going to, yeah, we're probably going to just yeah. roll through a whole bunch of culturally relevant ideas, problems, ideologies that are, you know, eating up our world. And for sure. And uh, we'll try not to ramble too long. 
Well, we got we got Mike the problem solver hut in the studio. So. Well, I wouldn't say that, but well, we'll, we'll, appreciate it. We'll get to a few things at least. Uh, it's just stuck in my head now. Yeah, no, you gotta you gotta stop. I can't even remember what our music is. It's gonna be a cringe like. clip right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get through it. Um, you want to lay out something? Well, yeah, I was just thinking like maybe we just ask Mike for a sec. Like, what was the? Uh, we've seen a lot of cultural change uh, yeah. in twenty twenty. A lot yeah. of yeah upheaval. It's uh, it's been an interesting year, yeah. By, mm-hmm. by any, any measure, so I was just curious. You you started your podcast this year. Was there any like one sort of impetus for for you starting it, or what was the? Yeah, reason? absolutely, there was. Um, I've been having. I had the idea of um, starting something, um, whether it was I, I considered a blog, um, but I settled on <laughs> podcast. Now, particularly this year, um, I saw it was first COVID. COVID kind of um when it hit people didn't know what to think and a lot of people um whether they were in churches or whether it was just general public just they were confused they didn't know what to think they didn't know like it, it was just confusion right yeah. mm-hmm. um so i saw that i noted it i i kind of started forming my own ideas about covid um and then the black lives matter protests like the black lives matter started protesting uh, after the the death of George Floyd, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and again, Christians just didn't know what to think about it. And so I was like, hey, like I have thoughts, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. my thoughts will um, at least spark conversation. That was kind of my goal, to spark conversation, yeah. not tell people what to think, not tell people how to think, but just spark conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I do take stances and it's not like, of course, um, it's my opinion. I, I do think my opinion is correct. I, I spend time reasoning. <laughs> you know, otherwise, otherwise, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. But I'm not doing it to try persuade people that I'm correct. I'm doing it to try start a conversation. Right. Uh, because these are issues that we really have to, we do have to discuss. They're, they're super important issues. So um, that's yeah. kind of, that okay. was the impetus for starting my podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah. So when did you get it underway before the Black Lives Matter stuff started? No, it well, was. I mean, that's been going on for years, but like. The, well, yeah. The um, protest this year. Primarily this year. So it was yeah. shortly after the death of George Floyd. That's yeah. when I really started digging into it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's some pretty heated stuff. Like that's even. Yeah, it now, is. It's interesting how, how much uh, people still care about it or, or engaged in it here in Canada. Still. Yeah. Yeah. That's I know right. we, have, we have some American listeners and I'm sure they've, they've seen a lot of the media. Yeah you know, focus on that and, and rightfully so it's a big yeah. event, but yeah, yeah it, it's interesting to me how many Canadians are, are very much engaged on that issue. Like there is a Toronto chapter of black. There Lives is Matter. absolutely. Yeah. 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 So there's, I think there's probably oh, a chapter yeah. in every big city. Yeah. So Hamilton had some stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there were some, some, I don't know, riots maybe, or at least some they wrote, I think they wrote BLM on the street in yeah. downtown Hamilton. Did, didn't they yeah. do something with Sir John A. McDonald's statue too? Yeah, I, I don't know if that was them. I can't I keep track of all the statues that are toppling, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. there probably was one that came down. Yeah. yeah. What do you What do you make of that trend, actually? Because you did an episode on, I haven't listened to it yet. You might have on symbolism. I listened to all of them. Yeah. And Pajot. So um, well, that episode well, was, was talking masses, a lot yeah. more about COVID. Okay. Um, but um, but the symbolism of all these statues being toppled. Yeah. So I, kind of that actually did incorporate into the episode a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that's like, it's, it's, we see a trend that people are trying to rewrite history, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which is a, a very dangerous trend um, because they're forgetting about the wrongs of history because mm-hmm. they're there. It's, it's almost like they're tr- attempting to uh, kind of deny sin in a way, mm-hmm. right? Because they're, they're destroying all the bad aspects of history. 
But if we do that, then like the the saying, like if you if you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it, right? Yeah, right. And now it's not just we're we're not yeah. failing to study history, we're destroying history. But who, so who are these people destroying history and like why do you think they're doing it? Like, um, I mean, yeah, that's, well, like, yeah, that's a deep question. They don't like they're tearing Sir Johnny McDonald's statue down because you know he, because he was also sinful. <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah, well, right. he's, a, he's considered that a racist. That's, yeah, that's because the, he was a racist. Church. Well, I mean, like if you lived back then, you you know, okay, we're getting like way too quickly into into <laughs> our material here. But <laughs> well, I don't know. If you lived Ties back then, up, so you're going to be on. you're going to be uh, molded by the culture that you lived in, right? So yeah, like, for sure. to say that anyone wasn't racist back then, it was like people say everyone's racist now. So yeah. it's like, it's it, obviously if you view that like, this way now, then back then it was way worse. We got to shut that down kind of thing. Right. And, but it's not just like Johnny McDonald. It's like, it's like Winston Churchill too. Right. It's yeah. the strangest like characters that they're trying to yeah, like, yeah, it's, but it's, I think there's something to that, which is like, if you tear down the person that everyone looks up to, they got nothing to look up to now now the system's crumbled which is really ultimately i'm sure we'll get into that but ultimately that's what they're after it does it's seem like, like bring it, it down yeah. and then we can build something new tearing down like yeah. tearing down the current system um where is i going with this i would like ultimately i think that there is there's a group of people in society today that essentially deny sin mm-hmm. and any wrongs in the past um were because not like since they deny sin then they can't they can't attribute it to sin right mm. they attribute it to to malice or to to um some sort of evil intent mm. on, hmm. on people's part okay um yeah. and and yeah trying to get rid of that is is going to be because sin is real it's going to doom us to the same thing yeah right so well, let's uh yeah no go ahead well i was just gonna say like that's i haven't I haven't conceptualized it like that before. Like I, the way I see it is, is we, we keep saying these people, I mean, they're not like, they're not really like a monolith per se, but they're everywhere. Yeah. And people who are just looking to, to find wrongs, I guess, in society and uh, yeah, to, to dig up wrongs of the past, I guess. But don't they see everything as sin in the past? Like it's like all evil because they see society as kind of this uh, oppressive structure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not really because, they see certain um, factions of society as evil. And, and in particular, it's the white male, yeah. right? Um, because for so long, the, they say that the white male dominated um, and essentially had some sort of evil intent. Um, and then they suppressed the suppressed women and suppressed any sort of minority. But it was, it was the women in the minority who, they were the good guys, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so to create perfect people. Well, I'd say no. I'm, I'm just poking at you. I'm just poking at you. <laughs> sitting there. Yeah. I don't know. You might be right. Uh, like, I think an end goal of, of all of this is to attempt to create a utopia on Earth. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't agree with that, but I agree, I agree <laughs> that. That's a, that's a correct Let's assessment. Let's do that. All right. Burn this place down. We're starting over, people. Yeah. yeah. No more real talk studio. So, we made a giant list of topics um, that we could probably honestly take one of these and talk for eight hours on it. Um, what do you think out of this list that you, we read is the most fundamental bottom line problem with oh. society, with Western society? <laughs> um, maybe one, one word. Maybe read the list. Oh, yeah. Shucks. Yeah. Go through that list. I'm going through my notes here. 
Well, um, I mean, this the list that I put together here wasn't even comprehensive, but at least scroll through mine. Um, uh, cultural Marxism, totalitarianism, uh, a culture of acceptance. Um, this is just things I wanted to talk about. Uh, fragility. Uh, Critical race white, theory. White, white fragility. Uh, freedom of freedom of speech, expression, um, postmodernism, uh, expressive individualism. 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 Yeah, yeah. the old five-second word there. Nice. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, critical theory, critical race theory, um, racism, which ties into Black Lives Matter, social justice, um, white fragility. Man, like there's just so many buzzwords here. Yeah. Um, so I could divide your list into two kind of categories. Let's start there. <laughs> um, now you seem to have a different list than I do, but yeah, uh, no, so sorry. Cool. This is the list that I made up, but do I, do I still have the list that I put in here? I could rattle that one off too, but, um, no, we can go with your list. I like your list. There's going to be a lot of overlap. Oh, like oh, yeah. oh. yeah. I do. I do like your list. Identity politics. Point. Maybe that's what I missed. Identity um, politics. So yeah. a lot of that list falls under, so you mentioned freedom of speech. I'm going to, I'm going to just um contrast sort of the the freedom side yep. versus i guess the marxist side and i think if you if you kind of have those headings at the top of your list then you can kind of put whatever topic underneath those headings mm. um yeah i would agree and uh, those two now there's so, going to be plenty of disagreement with this among certain audiences but uh Oh, that's what we're here for. Sparks <laughs> some right. disagreement, which sparks conversation. <laughs> or vice versa. I'm not sure. So you, um, you say freedom and Marxism as the two categories? Well, just just based off of the the topics that Tyler gave. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I would just pull out those two words. Yeah. I too so, I too would blame Tyler. So, <laughs> so I've taken as little responsibility yeah, as yeah, possible. Yeah. Don't own this thing. Because <laughs> uh, once we get in the weeds, it's going to get uh, become a disaster. But I think you're right. Like so, Marxism, I always always seem to be coming back to this and maybe people don't understand marxism so maybe we should just explain the, the core tenets of that yeah um, to start um but i see that contrasted with what you said freedom which is like freedom is to me western society in as best we could manage it like i think there's something to that western society is well because it's based on the bible and and the core tenets of the bible yeah um it's, I think it's the best culture that, you know, people have come up with. Um, maybe, maybe that's a terrible thing to say. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a racist thing. <laughs> no, but I think it's, it's, it brings the, f the real freedom. I mean, obviously capitalism's not um, perfect, but like, yeah. you know, they always say, you know, that's the best system until you try every other system. No, it's, no. Yeah, it's, it's the, the worst system. It's the worst system until you try every other system, ones. right? Yeah. yeah. So it's like, and I think that's true. It's like, so... And I think Marxism is like the opposite of that. And, you know, the, yeah. the 19th, 20th century, the 1900s kind of um, demonstrated that but, real clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, we have to be a little bit careful with that because there are people who would try to um, put Marxism and freedom together. Right. Because. Well, Marxism and utopia. Freedom for the oppressed. Free, freeing the oppressed yeah. and um, like the idea of Marxism is equality or equity for everyone. And, yep. and the mm. idea is then that's not the same thing. It's not <laughs> the same thing at all. <laughs> I totally agree. Equity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the, the end goal of Marxism is equity for everyone. And 
people say that that will end up with the most freedom. Mm-hmm. I absolutely disagree. Um, that's kind of where I'm I'm going with my podcast series, and we can we can head in that direction because I've got. <laughs> no, let's give her. Like, okay, so so just explain for the folks at home. So why why isn't equality of outcome freedom for people? Or maybe define freedom to start. Right. With, so I'm I'm going to take a step back. Freedom from freedom um, to that sort of thing. Right. Um, so Marxism aims for, like you said, equality of outcome. Yeah. Rather, and and the other system that we're talking about, the system we've labeled freedom. Aims for equality of opportunity, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, those are those are phrases that mm. we're pretty familiar with. Um, equality of opportunity says we all kind of get the same starting point. We get the same things to to work with, and then what we do with those things um, can either be a good or a bad thing, and it can either right. put us in a good place or a bad place. But this is an ideal. This isn't. This That's isn't right. to say yeah. that Western society has that because we, right. we definitely don't. Sure. Yeah. Or absolutely. Historically, haven't. Yeah. I mean, we're maybe moving that way, but yeah. Right. That was that was kind of the goal of Western society. Mm-hmm. What Marxism aims for, rather than uh, equality of opportunity, is equality of outcome. So regardless of where you start, you all end up at the same place, right? Yep. So we all we understand that, um, and and that looks like like everyone has the same income level, same uh, education, same everything. Everything yep. is is controlled by the government essentially. Yeah, it doesn't um, give you room for preference and for. Not at all. Yeah. It, it actually, so then you can see right there, like it actually removes all freedom. Mm-hmm. It, it removes freedom to make your own choices, to, to have personal responsibility. Even. Yeah. Um, yeah, because yeah. the actions you, the actions you take don't determine your end goal. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Well, let's quickly take a step back to Marxism. Like, so I, I had to do a bunch of research on this cause I'm like, I know in essence where it goes, like you say Marxism, you, I always thought communism. Right? Sure. That's where it kind of okay. leads, right? Yeah. And com- it is, I would say it's still in my head, it's pretty, pretty similar. Yeah. Um, I would Agreed. just say communism is like the political, politicalization of Marxism, Marxist thought. So, I don't know, you want to run through Karl Marx? Like, he basically said, there's two groups. You have uh, oppressed group, which is like the working class, people who are employed. And then you have the, the governing group. Um, this is the bourgeoisie. And then the proletariat or the, the working class. Yep. Um, yep. The governing group or the the haves are reigning over the have-nots and it's up to the have-nots, up to a system like Marxism to turn that over and to have everybody equal. So, well, And the baseline uh, assumption in Marxism is that everything is economic. Yeah. And so that everything that the haves have is taken, is from, taken the from the right. poor. So it's right. like if you're an employer, your employee puts hours in for you and that's you stealing off of them. And so in order to bring things back to where they should be or where they they would be if you left everything to be equal, um, they, you know, you would have to give back to them or they are they're allowed to steal off of you, basically, which is which is where it all went wrong. Right. Um, you gave people a license to go well, on pillage because it was like, well, or, or it all know, went they right. stole it off you. Or it all went right. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean like if, if you yeah. fall to, you know, according to I mean, theory. In his view, this was like going to bring about the utopia where everyone would work right. and uh, everything would, everyone would just have the same amount of stuff. Yeah. And then um, obviously this became political, it became everything. But he, he, like Karl Marx actually thought of it only in economic terms. Well, I want to, I want to just rephrase that a little bit. Um, I would say that every relationship in Marxism was seen as political. 
perhaps not necessarily economic. So a husband and wife relationship would be political because in, in Marx's view, the husband had power over the wife in traditional systems. Right, because of his earning capacity, though. Because of earning capacity, so that's and, why I think it's, and because traditional systems put the husband as the head of the household. Yeah, that's true. Right, um, and then and then every Marx said every relationship in society was political, was basically a power struggle, mm-hmm. and he wanted to say he wanted to pull that apart and take away that power struggle. And his idea was then people would everyone would be would be able to thrive. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Which is um, it sounds good. And there are, there are things that Mark said that I, I do agree with. Such as? <laughs> so. Okay. Let's put them down. Yeah. <laughs> put me in the hot seat. <laughs> um, so he critiqued capitalism. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there are valid critiques of capitalism for sure. Because you listen to a capitalist talk, uh, like a, a dyed-in-the-wool capitalist will say that greed is good. Right. Mm. Because greed brings profit and with profit, you can help other people. But greed doesn't motivate you to help other people. Mm -hmm. Greed motivates you, motivates you to take more for yourself, to, to find a way of getting more for yourself. Yeah. Right. So, um, that, that is a very simple critique of capitalism. Mm -hmm. But you you see that, like, it's funny because you don't. You don't like to critique the things that you love. So it's like if you if you view sure. yourself as a capitalist, you're like, yeah, but like there's no real problem with it. But like we're very, we're very easily, easily like we take Marxism, like, well, if you just extend that to where it would naturally go, that's a disaster. And then you're like, but no one ever did that for capitalism. Like right. that already, I was like, oh, really? Right. So yeah, you're like, like, no, but I like, you know, being able to earn money and being allowed to do business and right. whatever, right? Right. So, so um, like just just to kind of um solidify that i don't know if you've if any any of you have watched the wolf of wall street oh um, yeah back in the day right yeah, i don't know if i did potentially <laughs> so the, the movie that that <laughs> guy <laughs> don't acknowledge it well that's all there now anyways <laughs> um the movie the the sort of the main character in that movie he's a, a business magnate right and and even now he's been to prison and, and out of prison and everything else um, he's a dyed-in-the-wool capitalist. If you watch his um, lectures or, or seminars or whatever, he will say greed is good. Movies based off a real guy. Yes, yes. it is. Yeah. Um, Jordan Belfort. Right? Yes, that's yeah. right. I, I would not have come up with that name. Okay. Leonardo DiCaprio? He plays him in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I haven't watched it, but I don't. Yeah. But yeah, so I've watched his seminars. Um, yeah. So maybe maybe that I'm taking some... Uh, some oh, I would not recommend the movie. Some it's of the heat off of you. profanity laced. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, got about, I got through some of it. Um, yeah. But I've watched his seminars, so I've watched the real deal. So maybe that'll take some of the heat off of you. Well, right? that's a real guy. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing research yeah. for the podcast, you know, like seven that's years ago. That's where it goes, though, right? It's like... If you if you extend capitalism out and you think greed is good, like what's stopping you from just being a complete crazy maniac in business, right? Right, absolutely. And he was a crazy maniac, and he got very rich very quick. Yeah, right. He lived off the greed is good principle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but so did a lot of people in Marxist, uh, you know, communism and stuff. True. You know? <laughs> this is true. Turns out you can't fix human nature. Well, that's just it, right? Hmm. What? Yeah. <laughs> what a thought. Um, Podcast over. Y'all need a savior. All right. Wrap. Y'all need a savior. But so, like, what I'm trying to show by that is, is Marx did have valid critiques of capitalism. Yep. Mm-hmm. I have not read all his stuff, of course. There's a there's a library there, but um, 
what he took from his critiques of capitalism is he turned he he went away from biblical principles of for example private property ownership yes mm -hmm. that's um, a big one. so rather than rather than taking the bad aspects of capitalism and turning towards the bible and using the bible and biblical principles to to right the wrongs of capitalism he went the direct opposite direction well he mm -hmm. dismissed religion he dismissed religion the opium of the masses that's right yeah mm -hmm. religion is religion was designed by the the bourgeoisie to hold the proletariat down yeah right yeah right? yeah which you know to 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 be fair to marx in in like historical like catholic europe was yeah. certainly true in yeah. some instances yeah yeah and, he's, so we're talking like mid 1800s like 1850 was probably like he was 60s like, something like that yeah he's somewhere in there, so. mid yeah so uh, mid, mid 1800s so, so just to frame that for people yeah right you know, this is after like the industrial revolution i guess right yeah which is like now you see all these like you know, all these kids working at factories and all these people living right. in but the cities. Right, you see like this rise of capitalism because of this industrial uh, boom, right? It worked, but at the cost of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, Marx is looking at that and saying, okay, this system obviously is not optimal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the start of the Industrial Revolution was, was like, there was a lot of good that came out of it, but it was, it was pretty dirty and... and not that great in the beginning either yeah, right not great to be a six-year-old uh, in, in a factory <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. and and cities just full of smog and whatever yeah. else right so um yeah marx the, the problem with marx is that he took the wrongs of of capitalism and, and went the opposite way of, of biblical principles yeah. yeah so basically he said fundamentally the world is class warfare so everything that happens yeah. is like you're either oppressed or you're or you're the oppressor and I guess what happened is that they you would need a government to step in or some ruling body to step in and right that wrong. Right. Well, his idea was that the proletariat, the people who were being oppressed, would they rise would rise up, up yeah. and then they would form their yeah. government, sort of the people's yeah, government. Yeah, I read that right? somewhere. Or I heard that somewhere that was they asked a Marxist why. It's like, well, why haven't the proletariat risen up then? Because that's not really what happened, right? Yeah. Like, well, in in communist Russia, I guess. Or in Ukraine, they did, right? But that was more like a, um, there was just sweeps of like pillaging and whatever else. And it just went, went terribly, right? Um, I'm not entirely familiar what happened there, but. Yeah, but in general, I don't think there was like a rising up of, of no. that class, right? No, there never was. Which is really what they was. said, well, this is what will inevitably yeah. happen. Yeah. And they said, well, it's because the, the proletariat have, have imbibed this, like, if I work hard enough, I can make it attitude. Where then I could be part of the bourgeoisie class. So the the bourgeoisie did such a good job saying, "Hey, uh, we have so much, but you could also have a lot if you would work really hard for us." Right. And so, so it's like, and then they there's examples they give like, well, you know, this guy looks like he changed classes, and it's like, well, okay, then everyone was just trying that, and they weren't really focused on the base level of you know tearing the system down. Right. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's yeah, it seems so warped, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know where we're we going with that. We talked about Marxism as pre. Well, I was just thinking. Too. I was just thinking that's like the that's like the bottom line because you get into like you start talking about white fragility, critical race theory. It all comes back to the core tenet of Marxism, which is like right. you separate the world into um, you know oppressed and oppressor, and if you view the whole world as groups, you know, I mean, of course that's not biblical, and it it just seems to sink your society. So. That's where my first question was. So wherever you yeah. want to go with this, you know? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's interesting. I get like, you can go into cultural Marxism if you want. Yeah. 
Well, that's, a that's, a big, that's a big factor. Well, okay, so you have Marxism, and then you get uh, a bit of a history lesson here. But this is, I got this from a number of different sources, but uh, a really good talk from Fodi Bakum on uh, YouTube. It's entitled Cultural Marxism. And he kind of works through the history of, of how this idea came about. And so basically, I'll, I'll just kind of summarize it sem semi quickly here. But you got this fellow by the name of Antonio Gramsci, uh, he's an Italian philosopher. And he takes uh, what Marxism is talking about uh, in Marxism and says, all right, like he looks, this is in like uh, the early 1900s. Yeah. And he looks at it and says, all right, like here's what's going on. Um, but we're not seeing this rising up of, of the proletariat like Marx predicted. Like what's up? What's happening? Why isn't this theory manifesting itself? And then he thought, okay, well, there's still this powerful, powerful uh, factor of culture. And uh, he came to define the term uh, cultural hegemony, which is like the the kind of um, embodiment of, of like the peak uh, symbol of power in the society. So for us today in the West, our cultural uh, our cultural hegemony would be someone who is white, male, heterosexual, cis, which just means like you know, you're not uh, an abnormal sexual. Uh, manifestation yeah. or whatever uh able-bodied native born usually christian christian mm -hmm. is usually yeah. tagged onto that as well so that, right. that's kind of like the the peak mm -hmm. um so when people say thing of power. Uh, systemic racism systemic whatever that's what this what you're describing well, systemic because, because it's like built right into the system that was built in order to well because the system was built by the people of power the people yeah. of power or white male heterosexual right. cis able-bodied native so it's, born. it's kind of synonymous terms actually cultural hegemony and like systemic um, well they tie into each other they yeah, tie okay. into each other because of those those types I couldn't of have men, defined that so let's those types of people make the system according to the theory right mm -hmm. so you got gramsci he kind of comes up with this idea right and then you get um yeah basically the, if you're not part of that cultural hegemony you're oppressed yeah and so it turns marxism into from an economic sphere into a cultural sphere Right. So you have like the oppressor, white male class. Yeah. That, that's where like the, the roots of the of what we see playing out today, especially right. Mike's talked about this a lot with Black Lives Matter. That's yeah. where you get a lot of that stuff. And then and this is the, before the Frankfurt School. No, and then you hit the Frankfurt School in like yeah, the 30s. Okay. And these people are in Germany. They come up with, uh, at least to the best of my understanding, critical theory, not critical race theory, but critical theory, mm -hmm. which is just like excessive uh, critical thought about any sort of right. philosophy. Right. It it's criticizes just, anything, but it doesn't provide any answer. Yeah. There's, there's no answers. <laughs> uh, you, can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't criticize critical theory and yeah, basically they go after everything. Yeah. So like it's, it's yeah. Well, we can get into defining that later. Cause that's going to be just an absolute nightmare. Well, it's just, that's like so broad. Like we might mm -hmm. get into critical race theory, which is more, yeah, but it we see a lot of that today. Together, right. But you can the see critical thing. theory in other disciplines too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just yeah, like, just any sort of, uh, yeah. Well, so you, like the the whole LGBTQ discussion is critical theory. Yes. Um, right. So that's kind of the the sort of realm, philosophical realm that we're working in. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so you get a lot of these these critical theorists, right? They come out of the universities. Uh, so you have the Frankfurt School, which is basically just a group of these professors in Germany. Mm -hmm. But then uh, the wars after the war, I believe, they go to America. They go to Colombia, uh, mm -hmm. in, in New York, there. And they start to spread this this idea of critical theory, and it just you know manifests itself throughout the university system in the states. And uh, the thing about critical theory is, and 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 also what Gramsci was talking about too, is that the best way to to change the power of the culture and to, to overturn the cultural hegemony is to go after the people of influence. So the people yep. of the robes mm -hmm. he talked about, 
So judges, professors, pastors, politicians, those types of people. And that's so, exactly what's happening. And right? that's what happening because mm -hmm. it came out of the, the university system. Yeah. A lot of good things come out of Germany. Eh? Yeah. Way to go, Germany. <laughs> Volkswagen. Doing it right. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where that whole idea came from. And that's mm -hmm. right. That's a real quick history. And I got so, yeah, I guess that Bodie explains Bauer. why it's so prevalent. Like I, we'll probably mention a bunch tonight that um, a lot of this is prevalent in the universities, in the like academia. Yeah. It's, it's prevalent in uh, our politics. It's prevalent with those, those people who would have had power in those days. Like, right. It's like, yeah. And that's why I guess it just came and, and they infiltrated those, those things instead of just our normal everyday life. So with your brief history there, I kind of, um, in one of my black lives matter episodes, I kind of pick up where you left off that history that you just laid out. Okay. Uh, because critical theory also influenced the civil rights movement. Yes. So within the civil rights movement, you had actors like, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm who was basically um, trying to hold America to its founding ideals. But then you also had guys like Malcolm X and the Black Panthers. Yep. And they subscribed to critical theory and they're much more militant. And they um, very much supported the idea of tearing the existing structure down. Oh, yeah. So that idea um, was present throughout the whole civil rights movement and is seeming to um, gain influence now. Mm. there's a lot of people who are picking up on that and uh building it for sure yeah mm. and it kind of like because the civil rights uh you know obviously achieved success in the 60s there yeah with, uh, with the passage of um i actually don't know the name of the act off the top of my head but basically you know granting equality for, for black Canada, americans so <laughs> yeah that's fair it's kind of <laughs> civil rights act i believe it's just called uh, charter of rights and freedoms <laughs> oh. yeah that that came a little later for us but so but but um, why is it why is it picking up steam now? Maybe, and has been like well, has been coming out for a while. The interesting thing you said was like they they were more militant, which is like what you see now is like everything yeah. everything is just being burnt down. Yeah, which is like how do you how do you live in America, live in Western society, and believe within you that lighting something on fire is helping? Well, the way you get there is like exactly what we're describing is like if you frame you know two groups against each other and say, well, you know, they only have what they have because they've took it from you. Then it's pretty easy to say, well, okay, well, well let's go get it back. Yeah. You know, whatever it takes. Yeah. It doesn't matter if, if, you know, that individual is oppressed, if they're part of that group, you can go back and take it back. And so you're seeing all these things being burned down, all these protests and in, yeah, they're not mostly peaceful. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Which yeah. is what you hear on CNN. So, yeah. Um, I had a thought. I'm. Well, I'll jump in for a second. I don't think I, these people are trying to. They don't see it as helpful. They see it as uh, tearing down the society. Right. To, to an earlier point. But it's like, yeah. But it's their right, and that's like. No, they it's, don't it's justified. It's, it's justified, justified in their mind, and yeah. then it's it's not that they want to be on top in the society. They want to tear this whole thing down. Oh yeah. But, if, but the way, if you frame it in a, in a Marx, it's again we're going back to Marx. If you frame it in a Marxist way, that you know you're up against him, then. It's like, well, why does he get to, you know, right. I was oppressed. Why does he get to have right. everything? Right. So yeah. it's like, let's go, let's go take it back. Yeah. So, so if, if the whole structure is built to, to hold you down, mm -hmm. right. Then, um, there is a, perhaps a certain amount of justification to tearing down that mm -hmm. structure to kind of level the playing field. Yeah. You can view it as a war, right? It's like, 
the Civil War was fought for a reason. Every war is fought for a reason. Yeah. But if you do it like a war, it's like even Christians would believe, you know, we can go to war, right? Yeah. Right. And, and you go to war against other countries or other ideologies, basically, right? And so they're just saying, well, you know, let's let's go to war. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're not going to just declare it. And it's not that it's like one army here, one army here. It's just like we're together. It's just this like ideological war. But now it's coming out in the way it's going to come out, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all <laughs> lose my voice here. Any good grief? Anyways, <laughs> uh, first hour here. Yeah, I know. We're like what forty five minutes. Um, I was gonna make a point here, and I was gonna say, have you come across intersectionality in in kind of your research you've done? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, you think you could explain that for the folks at home? <laughs> or yeah. So intersectionality, um, <clears throat> it is basically so. We've been talking a lot about kind of generally identity politics, identity politics where um, these all tie together, man. Yeah, they they do all tie together for sure. Where kind of um, identity politics is where policy is established based on someone's identity. Mm -hmm. So we've been talking a little bit about Black Lives Matter um, and you see it. You see policy being developed to support black people. That's that's identity politics. Now, intersectionality is where two identities come together at an intersection. Right. So you have, you have, for example, the identity of race and the identity of gender or, or, or sex. So you have um, black and white and you have male and female. So then there, all of a sudden at that one intersection, you've got four groups of people. Yep. Right. So um, what intersectionality attempts to do is kind of almost classify your level of oppression, mm-hmm. so to speak. So whereas a, a white heterosexual Christian male sits on top of the power structure, perhaps a, um, a black trans female sits at the bottom yep. because um, black and transgender and female are, are three, three oppressed identities, right. right? And she lives at the intersection of those identities Mm-hmm. And because of where she is situated on that sort of identity politics hierarchy, she is the most oppressed. Yeah. Right. Therefore, she also deserves the most help. So maybe to frame this so that we can we can grasp why this is really important. So I wouldn't I would say the funny thing about inter- intersectionality right off the top is that you're it's not all the way they phrase it isn't all wrong because which is look this is true for a lot of the things we're going to talk about because. The way they phrase it is that you can't, um, like what Marx would say, you could put everyone in a group. It's like this group or this group. And that was economic or, you know, political or whatever. But they would say, well, you're not just, you know, poor. You're also, you know, you're white or you're black. You're also male or you're female. And so you can't be really identified by one characteristic of yourself, which as Christians, you'd be like, yeah, no, like I'm an individual. God made me in his image. Um, I should be defined by every characteristic that makes me up. But, and then they say, okay, well, we can't be characterized by one characteristic of ourselves. And then their solution is like, well, let's just take a bunch of them. And then well, where they meet, that's how you identify. So it's like, mm-hmm. we would say, well, no, like you have to see the whole person. You have to see their whole situation. Right. Um, but so it's, it's very easy to like get on board with some of these ideas right away. And then like they start leading you somewhere where it's like, that's totally not Christian. Right. So, so where does intersectionality lead? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't treat people as individuals or you can't. Equals. That's right. 
Right. You're no longer equal. It is still it is still a identity politics Marxist kind of idea. It is. Right. Yeah. It's like we're gonna we're we still want to be able to label you, and most of those labels are you know visible. Well, we went right. we went from uh, we went from you know bourgeoisie proletariat you know rich poor. Then we got into the cultural Marxism. Mm-hmm. And then we got to the people you know like the cultural hegemony, the white straight male at the top, mm-hmm. and everybody else below them. And now we've the intersectionality is like Kimberly Crenshaw's theory. It extends it further, and basically now we're all in these smaller subgroups, mm-hmm. right? So then yeah. we're all like, there's different layers of oppression. There's no actual real scale to it for sure. Like, you won't find that anywhere. Like, <laughs> no, you I, won't. No, you no won't. but that's what I, I, talk, I, though, right? I feel I could make one. Yeah, if probably. You it, I like, saw, I saw like, Neil Shenvey had a, a whole. Um, uh, I don't think it exists. Table no. of like, but they had labeled out like uh, these are your these are the possible oppressions. So you were like you were. It was almost <laughs> well, like yeah. There's, hey, there's, try there's, to see how many places you slot in because yeah. then they're like right. Yeah, so there's that exists. There was yeah. a list of like okay, here are all your oppressions. This is how they might manifest. Yeah. And it was like oh, okay, well, why don't you just tell people how terrible it would be to be them? I um, love I love talking about this as white Christian males. Yeah, the whole thing is that we're not allowed to talk about this. Right. So anyone well, who's listening, who's black, female, doesn't, doesn't matter. Anybody who has like not every single, you know, dominant trait could cancel us, could cancel us. Could cancel so, us. Yeah. You, if you're anything other than a white, straight male, Christian, straight male, uh, you just turn it off because we're irrelevant. Well, and so, part, of the, part of the critical race theory is that uh, lived experience mm. is how truth is found. Mm. And so, right, we had we have no good experience on this table. I think that's, that's <laughs> critical theory in general, right? right? Like, no, cross, cross critical the race theory yeah. in particular. But that's race, just race defined. But it, you could define that by, like, gender, you know, anything. Like yeah. Critical theory would say everything would, you know, you have to have oppression in order, or that lived experience through that oppression in order to, be able to speak or be credible on an issue yeah. of anything. So yeah, you have to be trans in order to speak about trans issues. You have to be, you know, whatever. Right. You gotta be trans to play trans. I can't people. even think of it. To, to be trans to, to play a trans person in a movie, you have to be right. trans person. But yeah. but think about how wrong that is because part of what makes us human is empathy. So mm-hmm. if people are willing to like pause in their own life and listen to someone else's story, we fall into that <clears throat> trap too so often, right? Oh, totally. As Christians, we like it's so easy to put a label on people outside the church, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it's so easy to consider them as something else. But it, we, we've got to distill things down to the most basic identity. And that's being made in the image of God, yep. right? Um, I can't exactly remember where I was going with. But yeah, we fall into that trap of of dividing ourselves into little groups so often. It's so easy. But to it do. is helpful in, in many ways. And that's why in some ways. I think it's so tempting. Because but, it is, yeah, I mean, it's very dangerous. No, <laughs> to, um, to like define some sort of hierarchy based off of your innate characteristics mm-hmm. that you can't change mm-hmm. is so dangerous. Yeah. The oh, thing totally. Is, yeah. So the problem, I always see if I can phrase this about being like just super blatantly racist or something. Um, well, don't be racist at all. Not just blatantly racist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Blame <laughs> racism, problem. Yeah. Casual racism, racism, maybe. Systemic racism. Yeah. <laughs> so um I think this came from Neil Shemby too. Um is he a racist? 
No. He's half Indian, <laughs> half white. So. He can't be racist. He's, he's half got Indian. a bit of a card up well, his sleeve there. I've heard I'm one one thousandth and twenty fourth Indian or something. Yeah. I've heard well, your ideas make you racist, not your skin color. Okay, well, actually, I was going to get to that, but if you <laughs> want to jump, jump, jump into your Hold that for one second. So, right. I was just thinking this because he said, he basically laid out a, an example of like a job interview. Um, and they, they tr- did a study and he lays it out a lot better, but they basically tried to figure out if if a, a, a white um, applicant and a black applicant who had very, very, very similar skill sets, resumes and everything, they controlled for a lot of things. Um, went to a job interview. Who was getting the callback? I think it was right. sixty forty or seventy thirty or something. That the white the white um, person would get a callback. Um, so that's you'd be like, okay, that's racism. So but his point was like, um, in people's minds, and the fact is that there are more black people incarcerated than there are white people. Mm-hmm. There's more black people with criminal record. You know, mm-hmm. we can debate why that is. Um, mm-hmm. but that's, so that's, a, that's just a fact, right? And I think people know that and whether or not they view that as one way or the other is, you know, irrelevant. Um, what they're trying to control by not calling the black person back is for criminality, not for race. So you're not allowed to ask if somebody has a criminal record, but right. if you were, then maybe that disparity would be gone. Right. So his point like that was like, there was just one example, like, Yep. So how do you balance these things? Like, how do you say, well, you know, that really could have been racism or it could have been like, I mean, I'm sure there, there is, there are people who would say, well, I don't want a black person working for me. And then they would like, that's just obviously sinful. That's yeah. wrong. And, and, you know, the majority of people. That's pretty like, simple. <laughs> it's just, it's just, yeah, that's, that's the blatant racism. So yeah. Thomas, um, just, yeah. just to further your point, Thomas Sowell um, talked about it too. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Thomas. Yeah. One A and one B. So that's where you're going with this. Well, discrimination, yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, not getting into that specific theory, but he talks about prior or yeah, prior to the to the time that they made getting criminal records on employee or uh, employee applicants. Mm-hmm. Prior to the time that they made that illegal, then um, people could do a criminal background check on their applicants, and black people were more likely to get hired. But then w- once they made that illegal and they made it illegal because um, more black people had criminal records, right. once they made it illegal. Is that really the reason? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So they thought, they thought the criminal background checks. So it's um, meaning well policies. Well, yeah, that that yeah, I mean, we can talk about that too. It's just like yeah. pol- politics is never, well, very rarely the answer. Right. Um, so or can, can a- adequately address these issues. They, they made it illegal to have these criminal background checks. And all of a sudden people... Um, people knew that black people were more likely to have criminal records. Mm. So then less black people were hired. Mm. Um, so like you said, it's a, it's a policy that meant well, but the actual effects of it were the opposite. There's yeah. a lot of policies yeah, he, like that. He, he uh, makes a distinction between uh, two types of discrimination. Yeah. The first one is the, the obvious racist one that we, we mentioned. Just mm. like, I'm not going to hire this person because they're black or mm. because they're whatever, because they're a woman or something. Right. Yeah. It's like just very obvious. And then the second one B um, is the type of discrimination where you don't have the information at hand and you're making <clears throat> a generalization based on uh, typical, like right. broad uh, stats based on our broad ideas. Well, that's based also on, what keeps you safe like, in the world, which is interesting. Like, well, right, uh, like generalize, generalizing about situations is like part of what 
you know, we use in order to like, here's to a stay safe, alive. Here's a safe example. It's just like racist you, doing it on racist grounds is like race grounds is just terrible idea. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it, but it's really tricky because, mm-hmm. like, say you're you're driving through Hamilton or whatever, and you're like, ah, that's a poor part of town. I might want to avoid that. And you don't mean it like poor white or poor black. It doesn't matter. It's just like poor, which equals more crime, more danger. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll probably take a different route around or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's one of those examples. You're, you're, like, you're not going to stop in the variety store in that part of town no. at, at midnight, right? Yeah. yeah. You're gonna you're gonna wait till you get into into like Super a wealthy area, Stony Creek, and, whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You're talking yeah. about this like nice like Robin D'Angelo uh, white fragility style. So, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Oh, she lays this out in her book that that they were talking about a um we can get into white for Jilly, man, it's a disaster. Um, <laughs> um she lays it out an example almost similar to that. It was like you're talking about a, a a neighborhood that's like that's a bad neighborhood. And um she was saying, well, you know, sometimes white people say that and they mean black neighborhood. I I don't know that I've ever done that, but it's more like um you imply it by not saying it. And then that was like one of the enabling factors of white fragility. So well, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. I was using it as a as no, a race I, neutral. I, I wasn't saying you're just man, not labeling you right no, 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 I know. I'm just trying to dissect what the uh, her idea no, which I you get, just espoused. I get what yeah. you mean. And it's exactly it's exactly right. It's like, you know, it, it's not it's the safety thing, right? It's like I'm not gonna just go out and, you know, into a variety store in this part of town because okay. it's right. it's you know, densely populated, which causes more crime and you, it seems you you label it right away when you see it as like okay this is you know something dangerous to me you don't you don't have like the point you're trying to make is you don't have all the information at hand exactly. right you don't have all the information about all those people in the variety store and around the variety store yeah. so you make a, a decision for your own safety mm-hmm. based on assumptions yeah. Yeah. and um a lot of people say those assumptions are are racist or they're sexist depending on the situation or they're, they're homophobic or whatever. Classes, mm-hmm. classes, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. But I just, yeah, I, it's hard to reconcile that in my mind, but I guess, I guess I see what, how people get there. But Robin D'Angelo in her book too said something like she stepped over a homeless black person and then had to repent from the racism later. But it's like, yeah, but you would step over a homeless white person. It's not the fact that their color, like it's not their race. It's the homelessness that to me would be more. And, and right. In, so, so you're making a judgment based on that, that they're homeless, not based on their race. Maybe your judgment based on their homelessness is wrong too. Like more than likely you should have compassion or like, you know, there may be another way to, to go about that interaction, Yeah. but it's not necessarily like, uh, yeah, he was black. So now, now you're racist too. It's right. like, yeah. So anyways, we're probably down the track. We're, well, we're a little down the road there, but I was going to get it back to like, we were talking about intersectionality before and, and, yeah. and, and racism and racism is no longer just an individual sin. Yeah. Like we spent all this time trying to figure out, you know, what is racist, what is not. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. Right. it's, it's because of this, this idea of the cultural hegemony and these, these systems made by white straight males as the logic goes. Therefore, if you are a white straight male in today's society, you unknowingly or knowingly benefit from the systems set up by people like you in, in past mm-hmm. history. And these systems are oppressive. This is the theory. These systems are oppressive to people, people of color, people of, of different disabilities or, or genders even and whatnot. And therefore, just by virtue of your skin color, of your sex or whatever, you are participating in an oppressive society. Mm-hmm. Right. And therefore, um, our oppressive system, uh, oppressive system is racist. Mm. which makes all white people racist, which gets into D'Angelo. And and that is the theory. It is that all white people are racist. That is explicitly said. Mm. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But could you combat uh, the first part of that is that you're, you're, it, it is intentional or unintentional, which I think is terribly problematic. But the second part of that is, um, what's the second part of that? What were you just saying? Institutional racism. Yeah. So can you really, um, can you really say that it's not right? Like, I think there's well-meaning Christians who would say there, like, there's a good argument to be made, I think, for systemic racism. Like there's a system that's been made, um, by a certain group and whether or not that, like, I think that's still a debate, um, in, especially in different, in certain situations or certain, um, aspects of life. You so, have to get specific, but but this right. theory, the theory so, is not specific. Right, right. It's the I, entire system. The, right. Well, the theory. But the thing is, how do you shut it down when there's still this open like discussion that could be had on whether or not there there is systemic racism? So right, you can't expect. Uh, there's no systemic racism, so this is obviously wrong. Shut it down. Don't well, talk about it. The theory deliberately avoids specifics because. Mm -hmm. If you get into specifics, then you have to have evidence for it. Well, there's actually a really good quote uh, from Ali Beth Stuckey. Her podcast is relatable. She says the uh, the antidote to critical theory is critical thinking. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's classic. That's a good one. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's a that's a great idea, and it's totally true. You can you can look at the institutions that are set up now, and it's really easy to claim. Oh, because in general. Uh, black people are incarcerated at higher rates yep. and they have, they have a lower income level, then all institutions must be racist. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it's an entirely different thing to go out to an institution and, um, and actually see racist behavior. It's, it's a very, very difficult and it's, mm -hmm. it's illegal for institutions to have racist behavior. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. It's already illegal. Um, the whole premise of the discussion is that every institution is built on racism. So then they must be torn down, but it's a, it's a theory that can't be proven and deliberately. So, yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. It survives yeah. off of that. Yeah, that's right. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, maybe let's dive into the first part of that. Cause I think that is what frames most of it. Like critical theory basically says you can be racist. You can be sexist. You can be, um, homophobic intentionally or unintentionally you could which is you know i think traditionally we think if you're racist it's almost an act right it's like yeah you clearly did something or thought something or said something that was racist but now by just living as a white person you're complicit in this racism which to me is like i mean i can't even get past the point that like Robin D'Angelo writes an entire book on white fragility, which is essentially this. It's like, yeah, you know, you are complicit in this system. We got to figure out how to deal with it. If you deny and it. she's white. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. who are you to even talk about it? You're like your I'm, whole, your whole thing. Like it's like framed around. I shouldn't have the ability to talk about this. And then you're like, and, but listen, listen, I have things to yeah, say. <laughs> and she's also, she's also making a lot of money. Oh yeah. Off oh, of what she's doing. Millions. She it's is. New York yeah. Times bestseller for right. like months. That's she's right. got these black yeah. people at her feet. Almost. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's again, racism. it's again, it's, it's a white person stooping down to help the black person. Right. Mm -hmm. What kind of image like, is she unwittingly giving? Yeah. Or black no, people need white people's help. It's a bit offensive. I would think. Well, I, I would say it's absolutely. I think, she goes on, yeah. I think she goes on stage and apologizes every night for it. 
She probably like, I'm very sorry, I'm white. Well, does she but give over like, the does, does she give over the money she made? Well, no, but <laughs> that should be reparations. That goes back to Marx. Yeah. It's like you can't do that, man. <laughs> yeah. like, I, th- I think if she wants to put her money where her mouth is, she'll uh, give over the money that she makes from her book. Yeah, well, I know. <laughs> does she have a chapter on that? It'd <laughs> be good. Yeah, yeah, I'm. Yeah, it, it's a problem, right? Like. And people <clears throat> view her as like the champion for a changing view on this stuff. Yeah. And, and it's just, yeah. But, but it's a, like one of the problems with this theory is that it, it's actually holding the so-called oppressed people down. It's making them dependent on other people. Yeah. And when, when you're dependent, then you can't, you can't do anything for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you can't, you can't, there's, there's no sense of personal responsibility because, you have nothing you're you're responsible for. It's other people holding you down. They're the ones that are responsible. Yeah. So someone else has to come through. Some sort of savior figure has to come through and remove that oppression, and then you'll be free. Well, yeah, and it, it almost it, sounds religious. It, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought? Exactly, right? Oh. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting because yeah, like you said, there's no there's no way if you see yourself as part of one of these oppressed groups, and you live in a fundamentally racist society with all these structures set up to keep you down, you have zero incentive to continue with this right. society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So why not riot and burn it down? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and get what you can from it. Go yeah. loot that Go store. Go loot a target, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, whatever you want. Yeah. It'll be zellers. I don't mm-hmm. even know those exist anymore. Does this make sense? We're just going to throw yeah, over to producer old. Tim because he's... Uh, we got a fourth mic now. we got a fourth mic. So, so he, can, he can chime in. So are you <laughs> lost? Are your eyes glazed over for us? I am a little lost. I'm okay, not so going to lie. I had a feeling like we're, we're, we're really in the weeds already because, I mean, it's so hard not to when you... I, just, when I wonder, like, like you talk about, like, Marxisms, right? And you talk about all these ideas or ideals that everyone has. Mm-hmm. Like, well, how do I phrase this? Um... Marxism, like you're saying that everyone everyone wants the same thing, right? You you would be all under the same mm-hmm. laws. You're working early as a kid, so everyone can make the same money, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you're talking about this racism thing. Everyone's holding on to their differences is the problem, right? So in order to be racist, is someone's calling you out on your difference and saying that you're they're better than your difference. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Someone yeah. like like are you? Uh, are we reaching the same conclusion that because uh, the the theory critical race theory is that every um, disparity between races is a result of discrimination. Hmm. See, I think that's everything. Yeah, that, that's difficult because in, in my it's mind... It's not true, but that's yeah. the theory. <laughs> it's because, and I'm pretty sure you said it too, is that one. everyone is different as is, right? Like right. we got different skin color, we got different thoughts, different cultures, all that kind of stuff from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So how do you make a Marxist um, society, if that's their end goal, out of something that is already different from the beginning. So the you don't you like you make a very good point because the logical conclusion of identity politics and intersectionality is absolute division. Yeah. Um, so everyone lives at a slightly different intersection. Like we're all Christian white males here, um, but we all have our own life experiences that have helped to define us, have, mm-hmm. have helped to, in a way, create an identity for us. <laughs> so we all live at a different intersection. So if you if you um, live and breathe identity politics and intersectionality, then the end result, the logical end result is a, is a society that mm-hmm. is completely divided. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to create policy at a at a government level 
for a society that is completely divided and, and everyone is competing for the same thing. Mm-hmm. So what Marx does is Marx essentially says, well, the government's going to take control of everything and give everyone the same thing. The government is going to make sure that everyone gets the same thing, regardless of who they are. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, that's, that's sort of the, um, kind of, well, kind of like the, the saving idea and, and the idea that will usher in the utopia. It's going to equalize everyone regardless of who they are. Yeah. Which is interesting because if you, I believe it's India who has this democracy of like, you have two different levels. You've got your poor democracy and your rich democracy, right? Pretty much when like this poor level, you've got all your decisions are made for you. You have no choice at all. Like from who you marry to what your job is to like everything, Mm -hmm. right? And you think that's a utopia? Because wouldn't that fall under the same thing? Well, that's just it. You You don't get to be different. You have to uh, be the same. Okay, but in the Indian example, you got a history of like the caste system and all that kind of right. stuff. So that is a bit different, to be fair. Yeah, yeah I mean, you're coming from, from the Indian East listeners. And, yeah. Although, all zero of them. This all landed like in <laughs> communist Russia and in communist, like mm-hmm. in, in the Soviet Union, I guess. Cuba. Cuba, yeah. I mean, they all come from different places, but when you adopt this this ideology, yeah. Like everyone's so different, but you have to be treated all the same you know, economically. Well, it's funny because um, there's so much uh, celebration of diversity of all types. Diversity is, is, is king. That's one of the, yeah, the, yeah. the amazing yeah. buzzwords of the 21st Div- century. Diversity is our strength. Diversity yeah. is our strength. When you, our when prime you, minister is fond of saying. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. So, okay. So, but diversity is our strength, but also we should all have equal outcomes and all be the same. Right. But you don't get an equal say, which is, so it's like democracy without it's because, democracy. It's because the oppressed people That's need the most, so they have the loudest voice. Right, but we haven't even ta- we haven't even said freedom of speech yet. Um, Ooh, freedom of speech. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> well, Mike so, right, but you're talking about democracy. Is like uh, everyone everyone gets a vote, right? It's like um, you know, ideally, I think like if you take democracy to the furthest thing, everything is a referendum. It's like. Do you think that we should do yeah, this? Yeah, we don't live in a direct democracy no. for that reason. Right. But, I mean, it's not but, practical. But, but the fundamental idea behind democracy is that every individual in the society is equal. Yeah. But, you know, it's at a certain point. But if you adopt this mentality, even though we are trying to adopt it into a democracy, which is obviously, you know, got its pitfalls and peril. Right. But if you try to try to do that, which is what we're trying to do, is um, you don't get an equal say. So you lose your freedom of speech as a white person because you were a part of this oppressor class and now your voice isn't worthy of of as much attention as everyone else's. Right, yeah, because it starts, you know, democracy comes around because we're all equals. And mm. it starts, you know, the, to, let's just be honest about history, it starts with the white males in, in the U.S. And the, usually and landowning, which actually, this actually goes back to Britain probably. But yeah. You know, eventually the, the whole story is, you know, the different groups that were historically disenfranchised mm-hmm. gain the rights. And especially this is true in America, you know, the whole promise well, of the and, Constitution and, and that's what, what is laid out there. There's right? an argument to be made that Which, just hold just let me finish yeah. this thought. So it, you only get that because of the Judeo-Christian underpinnings. Oh, right? 100%. Yeah. Because, because why is everyone equal? Because we're yeah. all created by God. The image of God. You don't get that from the image of God. That's a very key. Yeah. That's like the most important verse. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, but, um, we're also seeing the downfall of democracy. We have this idea that democracy is the ideal. Uh, a lot of people in the West have that idea. 
Yeah. But what is democracy? One way of, of, of viewing it is, well, democracy is, is two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. Right. Yeah. You have yeah. a, you have a system That's that rigged. I love that the majority can oppress the minority. So it's rigged, right? Yeah. So a, a democracy guided by guided by nothing or guided by humans yep. is is has huge potential for wrong. Oh, totally. Right. The funny thing is that neither Tyranny. us or the states are in any way a majority imposing their view because, like, the I white mean, Christian male. Well, I mean, there's white Christian males on both sides of, of the of the state in the states, right? Yeah, but like, oh, yeah. I mean, they're they're split right down the middle. So yeah, it's it's, like, the states is split like almost yeah. perfectly down the middle. Yeah, I, not, I, not, I, not honestly, in this country though. Maybe someone gave me a history lesson at some point, yeah. but how did they get to a point where they they only had two options? <laughs> I just don't understand that. So that has to do a lot with political systems, and I would suggest we don't get into that because yeah, that's, well, that's that we're going to seriously go but into the like, then. It's not like good and bad, but it's like strange divide. So anyways, I wanted to read this because when you were saying that, this part is the, Well, in. I'll just touch on that very briefly. Part of that is because um, a lot of people in the States, kind of the, the people who subscribe to the um, original founding ideals don't view the States as a democracy. It's a republic. It's a republic. It's yep. a constitutional republic. Yep. So oh, that means, um, so that term republic defines a lot of their political structure. I, like, I don't know enough about it to really get into it. Um, but basically, it's a, a group of people that are guided by certain principles. And those principles are set up in such a way, or, or they're supposed to be set up in such a way that um, prevents the wrongs of democracy. So hmm. these principles are set up in such a way so that the majority cannot oppress the minority. And so that's just like, amazingly the, providential the checks and balances that, yeah. yeah that that landed in a or with people that were judeo-christian had judeo-christian values right well it only comes about it only comes about because of judeo-christian right right but you could easily have a like there are other republics i'm guessing right i'm just i'm just like well, there's there's obviously other republics not, in the world not before that though no. maybe france tried it i don't know i don't know if they would I don't know if they would they have defined themselves, themselves as a republic. republic. Oh, yeah. Don't know. Yeah. Anyways, we don't go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. I'm going to attempt to read this because this was uh, straight from Robin D'Angelo. She was doing a speech and she read her own book on stage, which I thought was like just great. Um, she was getting like goosebumps reading her own book. Big D'Angelo fan here. I wish I could impress myself that much. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> oh, you know what I think is relevant in the world? What I wrote. Um, so I'm going to read what she wrote. Uh, which I think is deeply wrong, but this is like, she's writing about the relationship between people, right? And she said, in fact, if you are white and you've not devoted years of sustained study, struggle and focus to this topic being race relations, your opinions are necessarily very limited. So she basically says like, unless you're me, because I've obviously done this and she needs an excuse why she's, you know, able to do this, unless you're, you're white and you've spent your entire life thinking about black people, you're not allowed to talk, which is like, okay, so now if you're going to, if you believe that this is how it should be, then you should also believe that that person just doesn't, shouldn't be able to vote. So yeah. you're like, why would someone who is necessarily, wh whose opinions are necessarily limited be able to vote? That's like, so you're like depersonalizing oh, yeah. the people who have, yeah. So like historically it was like, White males had the um, had the power. They allowed women to vote. They allowed whoever else to vote. And now it's like, well, you know, they've had their time in the sun. Let's 
now take their vote away almost and say, okay, well now just, just the oppressed people get to vote. Yep. But you're, you're, you're taking away, well, like you said, you're depersonalizing or dehumanizing the people Mm -hmm. who disagree with you. Mm -hmm. And it'd be interesting. I wonder what you would say. Uh, face-to-face with someone like Thomas Sowell. I have a feeling that interaction would never happen because... <laughs> you don't know. Thomas, does Thomas Sowell read his own books on stage? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I, I, don't quote me on that, but I don't he think just, so. He just like publishes one and then he's like, right, net to work on the next. Yeah, so that's right. <laughs> just pumps him out. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, man. Like it's... How do you combat that? Because we, we do find ourselves talking, like if if you see in the media... You know, we live in a very divided time, you know, and people seem to have their own sets of facts yeah. and their own sets of truths. But part of that does come back down to the idea of critical theory and, and critical race theory. And yeah. it, like it's it's um, playing with the idea of postmodernism, that there is no absolute truth. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their own truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and also and also in critical race theory, if you think about these ideas that we've typically held in high esteem. I guess this comes back to the cultural hegemony again. Like what are the the ideals that the uh, the society, like the, like the straight white male holds very high. Mm-hmm. So stuff like uh, scientific method, objectivity, yep. Yep. reason, rationality, logic, you know, the, the facts that result from, from these processes. Yep. Those are all, as this is how theory goes, these are all products of a uh, white oppressive system. Yeah, right. So mm-hmm. there it has to a, be done away with. There was a blow up on Twitter several months back. Um, I'm not on Twitter myself, but I've heard about it. It was that big of a blow up. Um, that two plus two could equal five. Yes. It could if you are are part of a different worldview that allows it to equal five. In our, oh, I didn't our, hear that it could equal five. In I our, just heard it couldn't equal four. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what the argument is there, but in our in our limited worldview, scientific, rational worldview. Um, guided by white males as the majority of the scientists, we have determined that two plus two equals four. Mm-hmm. But if you're not part of this worldview, it could equal anything for you. Right. So this is the objectivity thing that they're after. Yeah. So I think that's, that was a really good example because I heard that it was like uh, two plus two equals four. So if you have two sheep and two cows, well, that doesn't equal four sheep. And you're like, okay. right. Well, that's not what you're trying to, you're trying to, yeah. you're trying to calculate animals. Like, and so like, but, well, that's your white male mind determining what you're trying to count. This <laughs> is like, well, okay, well, then, then math's not objective. Math's not objective. We might as well just right. dig a hole because right. it's like, yeah. <laughs> We're <laughs> not all equal. Gonna, we don't yeah. object a standard. And like, you said, like, what's the solution? Like the solution is the Bible. Like you got to go back to like, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, you know, we are all made in the image of God. So it means every single person. And the fact that you're born gives you your identity and gives you your, you know, um, so yeah, your value. Right. And so like, if you're going to do away with that, well then, you know, everything's on the table, right? Right. Abortion, everything, everything. So yeah. If you, if you don't base your identity off of an absolute mm -hmm. and, and Christianity gives you that absolute, we're made in the image of God. But if you don't base your identity off an absolute, everyone's identity off an absolute, then like, everything's up for grabs. Oh yeah. And so this is the danger of it in the church too. So if if we let this seep into the church, this idea and even well-meaningly, like, you know, you can be a very compassionate person and want to, you know, kind of adopt some of these views in order to better understand oppressed people. Um, Something that a lot of people are doing. Um, If you let this come into the church, now all of a sudden 
you know, everything's up the, the term, what was it? Decolonizing your theology mm. <laughs> was like, so basically it was like, well, you know, you're a white male. And so you view the Bible as, you know, this, this objective truth, which you, you call objective truth. Yeah. But if I'm of a different class, I could interpret the Bible, read the same words and come to a different conclusion, which is like, if you believe that, then you don't believe the Bible. But, um, I just want to reframe that a little bit because I believe we all have a tendency to go down these paths of identifying as something, uh, identifying something else, say whether like, well, we, we all identify by our jobs, for example, and it's very easy to classify people according to their jobs and kind of in a way forget that they're made in the image of God because you kind of, you, you hold onto, onto contacts because of how useful yeah. they might be for you. Mm -hmm, right? right. So it is, I think we all actually do have that tendency a little bit. I think it's, it's actually part of sinful nature. Um, so, um, one, one example of this, uh, I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. He kind of asked the question, when is the most divided time in America? And it's Sunday morning when everyone's in church, every like every church is a different group of people. You have very few mixed churches, right? Hmm. Um, which is a very, very interesting thought because we're saying that the Bible can bring us all back together, but it's when people are worshiping that they're most divided. So how do we reconcile that? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, without, without compromising. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to throw it well, out there. Every, for, every, good, no, like, no, no, every good working relationship's like, you know, you're married. And it's like, well, how, how do you stay married? It's like, well everyone's like you know you're 95 you can be married 60 years like oh compromise right it's like well <laughs> right and, and there's a lot to that it's like you know you have to you have to agree to work at it together well you don't agree to work at the bible with the bible right right you know christ doesn't say well you know i'll give and take with you it's like no like this is the truth and yeah. now if we can't defend that then you know yeah what are we well, doing it's so on your question there mike it's a different uh, it's a different question in the context of the states and here i think okay be just because we don't have the same history in terms of sure yeah. like this time, i'm not saying there isn't racism in canada but not to the same extent as there as there was at least on a legal institutional level that there was in the states systemic um, level <laughs> well i could argue against that um, i'm not saying there was none their immigration policy was certainly so immigration policy but also um like the easy example is residential schools but even stepping beyond that yeah. like um i forget who it was but um, it was specifically referenced in in Parliament that residential schools were to to sort of teach the native out of the native yep. mm -hmm. oh, yeah. to to completely destroy their culture. Yes, right. So that's that, that cultural that, genocide. Yeah, that yeah. is institutional racism at essentially the highest level in Canada. Yes, no, right? I, and I'm not saying it didn't exist. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying sure. Okay, in the context, my further point is going to be yes, there was. There, there was institutional racism in Canada. Yeah. I don't think it exists today. It, okay. I mean, there could yeah, be some sure. specific examples still, but I think in large part it's gone. And I would say that the reason that we still have churches that typically center around a certain ethnic group, whether, you know, in our context, that's Dutch uh, immigrants, Dutch Canadians, um, or it's, you know, if you go in Toronto, there's lots of Chinese type churches. Um, all, all sorts of different uh, communities based around immigration, right? Yeah. It, it, like that's a very common human trait. It and is. that's why intersectionality works so well 
because it's very easy because you find a tribe. We like we like that tribe. We mindset. like tribalism. That's right. Very much like tribe yeah. mindsets. And on the indigenous issue, especially, you also have the factor of geography there too, with reserves. Right. So yeah. like you're yeah. gonna have there's lots of like there's a real big evangelical indigenous movement. Yeah. And sure. um and they but they all have their own churches too. Yeah. So like you wouldn't go in there and be like you guys are racist. You don't have any white people in your church. Like, well, no white people live around here. Yeah. Or so like, just, uh, I, yeah, but they can't be racist before we get well, into the weeds. I, yeah, but... I want to just define tribalism for someone who hasn't heard that before. It's basically just the, the tendency for people to group together with people that are similar to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, so which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily. Um, if you think of the tribal days, people would group together with People who are like them for safety, safety for security, tactic. stability, all that. And and to a certain extent, that is, it's something that is inherent in us. The church does that. The church does that. Christians but, gather around Christians. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you are the company you keep, that sort of thing. Yeah. There are proverbs about these things. Yeah. Um, but racism takes that and says, um, essentially, one tribe is better than the other. Right. Yeah. Because of our innate characteristics. Well, okay. Maybe not even though. It's just like. Like I, I wouldn't fault, I don't fault like Chinese Canadians for starting their own churches and having mostly Chinese churches. So it's not, it's not, there's nothing preventing me from going to. If I but how much to, of that is that we've kind of imbibed this idea that they can't be racist? So like, no, I'm, but I'm I don't think, like, but so, I don't fault white churches for that. I don't, there's no right. sign on the door being like, but, or even any sort of stigma. Wow. Well, when we look at our I churches, none, we've, but, we've done this on our podcast. Like we've said, well, um, if you look around the church, there's not that many there's not that much uh, racial racial diversity or there's not that much like true diversity. And, and one of the things that we, we often think as King of churches, and maybe it's just because we're Dutch white people in, in general, we are like, let's strive for diversity, but we would never look at a black church and say, well, Hey, you're like, you're lacking diversity here. Like what's going on. You celebrate the black church as like, you know what? They have their heritage. Good for them. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and no one's like, well, good for us for having our Anglo Genevan Salter. Right. They're like, well, why don't we adopt more blackness? Which is what I'm, I'm using all these crazy, uh, D'Angelo words, but like, why don't we move away from our whiteness and find our blackness? It's right. Just just a side point. It's interesting how you're using words from Robin D'Angelo, who's supposed to be this great, um, <laughs> like I'm doing it on purpose, <laughs> great savior of the black people. And these terms sound so racist. Yeah, one hundred percent. Well, no, like she, she's terrible. She said she's trying to uh, she's trying to get rid of her whiteness in her. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's just like so. It, it, and right, you raise it, a good it's point. So unchristian. It's like yeah. you, yeah. Like why would you try to get rid of something? about yourself that God made. That just doesn't make sense but, to me. But right, the, right, off the, right off the bat. The problem like, comes um, when you start holding on to that as more important than being made in the image of God. Right? Right. Which when, obviously they don't even have that framework. So for her, it's not for her, rid of Yeah, it. sure, it's sure. Like, yeah. yeah. But but I mean as churches, as as like as fellow believers, we all we all believe in the same God. Um when you start holding on to your, let's say, white Dutch heritage as being more important, and, and it, it's not something that anyone would acknowledge consciously, it's kind of a subconscious thing, mm. um, you start ho- elevating it to a point where it shouldn't be. Yeah, if it gets in the way of, of sharing the gospel. Right. Or bringing, right. bringing people that's, different that's races the into danger, your church. That's you know. the potential danger of celebrating heritage. 
Right. Yeah. Right. When so, you, so, but we would never criticize. I mean, obviously, we wouldn't criticize. We would be hesitant to criticize you. Or oof. even people in our church, we'd be hesitant to criticize people like that. What you said is like it's unconscious or it's, you know, um, you wouldn't say, well, you know, you're just saying you just love our Dutchness because you love Dutchness. Yeah. Um, and maybe in the same way, we just don't criticize black churches for not being diverse in the same loving manner where we're like, well, you know, they are. Well, they, so you make a good point because we do imbibe the, the cultural hegemony argument a bit because like we do say like, oh, yeah, like white churches should be more diverse. And I was we, backpedaling. We don't. No, no, we, we, but we, we kind of accept this, no, this kind of narrative, right? But I would say that you can't, there's something the to Christian, the diversity Christian. in our churches. Well, no, right? but diversity is a good thing. Diversity. But do we view our churches as, this is like, I do not. Diversity think within this, the church is a good thing. Yes. But I, I was, Why? this isn't where I thought we'd be. Uh, because you get different experiences and different backgrounds that it helps, uh, helps foster a more fulsome faith. Because if okay. you're just getting it from one side, like one set of experiences, and it's not, this, oh, this very, is to my earlier that's point very here. All right. This, this is to my earlier <laughs> point, though. It's not, I don't Lived blame. experience, man. Yeah, but like, that's a factor. Fair. Okay. Yeah. Don't keep it. No, we're cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the, I don't blame different churches for having churches that are largely one ethnicity because of our tribal instincts. Is it the ideal? No, it's not the ideal. But is it very understandable that in a country that's very much... Uh, created on immigration that you know whatever it is three generations later your church is still gonna be pretty similar it's like it, that's pretty understandable because it takes a while to kind of branch out so like in, in our circumstances like yeah we're slowly diversifying and mm -hmm. that's good and i hope other uh immigrant groups um in canada too that have churches that are largely one type of ethnicity mm -hmm. like if you can get past the different um theological differences like if if you can find common ground like say there was a reformed if if could we like reform church in Toronto like that though? Mm -hmm. If there's a reformed Chinese church next door and you're both like operating separately, and you're yeah. both like you literally believe the same things, you have the same confessions, but you haven't hooked up, it's like why wouldn't you like get your churches right. Which to, is what, to you know, communicate? It's a lot of what we talk about. Like, but we to be fair to our federation, like we have you know Korean uh, fellowship uh, relationships with the Korean church there. Oh, hundred percent church relationships. I mean, so. there's effort there, and I think I'm just I'm curious. Like, this is getting very. What is, is it epistemological? Am I using that right? That's how you know things. So yeah, this is like a very deep, deep, very deep depends level. what you say next. Um, yeah, oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. No, I'm just thinking this is like a very deep level uh, analysis. But I'm I'm curious if it's like part of what we have imbibed is 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 something of this idea that because we're white, we should go out of our way to accept other races and cultures into our churches. And I wonder how we view that um, overall, if we view that subconsciously even as us doing the other race a favor, like, you know, like we're still imbibing this like white supremacy idea where like, well, now we have the truth. Let's go give it to everyone else, which is like as Christians, it's like, yeah, Paul had the truth. He went out and gave it to everyone else. But interesting, I actually heard today that he had a very targeted um, group too. He was like, I'm not going to the Jews. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And yeah. Like, Whoa, that's racist. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Which it was which like kind of was, but um, I'm curious if we like imbibe that a little bit, like we are the white people with the truth. Let's go find some black people we can share with. Like, this is just obviously very general, like 
not saying that it's white okay, versus black, black but that's what like that's what we do i just wonder if that's a subconscious thing that's that what we do in mission like we had pastor ian on like a couple episodes back it's like right, we're, picking, but, we're picking people in this area and we're saying these are poor people live in a quest and we're going to go do mission them or you know we target people in brazil or in papua new guinea right but right? i would say like the the act of mission is intentional and and i think that kind of controls for a little bit of that so that if when you're well, so if you're if you're going to do mission in Brazil, you're not just going to go there because they're of a different race. You're going to go there because of a list of factors. Because they don't know the gospel. Right. You're, but you're going to go there from a list of factors that, you know, you've determined that, you know, God's calling you here because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, whereas in general in our churches, um, it's not just up to a mission board to an, analyze who we should be reaching out to. It's up to every individual member to say, you know, we should be reaching out to these people. So I wonder as churches if it's different. Yeah. Um, just, we're, very, well, we're way too deep here. This is like Yeah, it depends on what your focus is with your with your mission work. If your mission work is like, okay, our, our church is too white, we've got to find some black people to diversify our church. Well, your mission work is focused on identity then. On yeah. on mm-hmm. like a a non-biblical identity. Yep. Um but now if you want to target a low income neighborhood. Well, that like if you want to go like Jane and Finch in Toronto, like, like targeted missions, avoid um, that. <laughs> yeah, they don't need the gospel. Safety, eh? safety. <laughs> targeted missions, um, in a certain sense, might be useful, might be worthwhile. All missions are pretty targeted, though. Almost right. Like. Do you you have to you have to be able to give your mission work a focus for it's it to be goal. effective? Yeah. But if you're if your mission work is specifically focused on identity because your church isn't diverse enough i'm i might say you're not focusing on the gospel enough you're yeah, focused yeah. on someone's identity totally. right totally so oh, man that's it's pretty hard to argue i don't know i would say too but like so i don't think we invite that no to use your word imbibe no i wouldn't ace time <laughs> i guess i got that stuck in my head so someone should get the imbibe count going for tyler um <laughs> it's the imbibe watch over here that's gotta be five for you yeah. um joel yeah imbibe i here. Yeah, maybe it's not maybe it's not quite as uh, um, prevalent or or something I'd be concerned about. But yeah, I I I'm always on alert. Like it, it raises red flag with me whenever somebody uh, uses one metrics of like, oh, we see you know X amount of black people versus white people in the church. Right away, it's like, okay, why do you why are you identifying that as the matrix of of success? Right, right, yeah. Well, and so I said that we had the same thing. Our first episode was uh, Jason. We talked about Christian education, and if it's like you're if you're um, if you think your metrics of of success is growth in a school, or you think it is um, multiculturalism, then you're like, then that's like you're you're straying from the vision of why that was created. Right. And I think the same thing with the church is like, yeah you know, you're not there to be multicultural. You're not there to have, you know, a diverse group. You're right. there because, you know, you are the body of, of Christ. Yep. But, you know, also, um, the, you know, the church and, you know, I heard this heaven is going to look a lot different than what our churches look like. Sure. Interesting. So it's like, there's just not going to be white people. It's not going to be like there's white Dutch people. Right. So yeah. maybe we should make our, you know, there's an argument to be made. Maybe we should make our churches look more like heaven. So did you have a point? <laughs> oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So um, it is interesting going back to where this, where this part of the discussion started. Um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s statement of, of the most divided time in America. Um, it is interesting also to pull in to that 
culture of different races because different races do have different cultures and um how how different cultures respond to for example different music and different worship styles yeah um now i like i do not know enough about this to talk authoritatively on it at all but it is interesting because that could factor into to why people go to a certain church mm-hmm. yeah, totally. for sure totally comfort right. level yeah comfort for level sure um yeah, we even right. have that you know, amongst our churches yeah like if you like if you like a more i gotta be very careful how to word this <laughs> but you know if you like a more uh relaxed yeah. or oh. upbeat maybe upbeat might not be the right word but if you're looking for a slightly different take on dynamic reformed, dynamic yeah dynamic like yeah uh just type of worship service then you might consider like it depends what you like if you like more uh i'll, I'll say it maybe conservative or liberal approach to church it's not bad or good hey, just, I wanna, just two I different things with that yet, so I keep you, if you're in the hamilton area you know you might you might consider going to blessings perhaps or you might consider going to cornerstone you might consider going to any of these other churches because they have different styles yeah and yeah. then like, well, let's just be frank like people choose churches like that a lot yeah. like because they're, they're used to to be this idea of uh different territories for churches and like you're right. like you, yeah. you're in this area you go to this church but that's pretty much gone by the wayside mm. people just go to the church they prefer so i don't know where i was going with that point but i just wanted I to know. say that out loud Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. If you'd like to send us some feedback, you can email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online, go to realtalkpodcast.ca. If you're looking for us on social media like Facebook or Instagram, or if you want to find us in your favorite podcast app, just search Reformed Real Talk. We should come up. Uh, We look forward to your feedback as that is what helps us grow and improve as podcasters, podcast hosts. This show, Real Talk, is produced by myself, Lucas Holpler, and Tyler Vanderwood. Photo and video credits go to Tim Van Woodenberg from Timeless Photography. Theme music was produced by Calvin Hutt. Thanks for watching. We hope you enjoyed and that you were informed and inspired. And please keep having real conversations. Till next time. Bye-bye.